From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. Our approach really is to try and capture as much data and as much granularity as possible, and then really provide different views or different um, perspectives by which different users can actually consume or look at the data. So we want to have all the data captured and linked together as uh, granular as possible to be able to meet the, 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 most, um, the most niche or, or you know, low-level kind of requirement. But not every user needs to actually see or view the data that way or the, that level of granularity. And you don't have to provide it at that at that um, you know level. So so for the material scientists, they, they may view the, the, the world or may view the data from one aspect of, for example, the common data model that, that we've developed, that the additive engineer or the, the operator may view it from a very different view. But from at the end of the day, it's all the same kind of data infrastructure, but they have kind of like different um, different aspects that they're exposed to. That was Kareem Agour. Kareem is a principal scientist in the AI technology discipline at GE Research. He joined GE in 1998 and transferred to GE Research in 2000. Kareem develops big data and knowledge discovery solutions to solve a wide range of digital industrial challenges. For example, he led the development of a scalable big data infrastructure accelerating aviation digital twin analytic executions by 100 to 2,000 times. In addition, Kareem led the development of a big data platform reducing the runtime of next generation DNA sequencing data pipelines from weeks to hours. Currently, he's working with GE Additive, leading the development of a knowledge-driven, federated big data storage and analytics platform for capturing and analyzing data across the additive manufacturing lifecycle. Kareem and I met through the Common Data Model Working Group, in which he is leading one of the industry efforts to standardize the organization and dissemination of 3D printing data. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. All right, Kareem, thank you so much for joining the show today. I'm really excited about the, the conversation we're going to have. Um, we met a couple of weeks ago on one of the working groups for the, the common data model and the additive manufacturing, and, and we'll get into that topic, but um, welcome to the show. And I always like to begin this with kind of giving the audience a little bit of flavor of kind of what, who you are and kind of where'd you come from? What's kind of your background and um, maybe just start there and, and we'll We'll, we'll kick off the conversation. Sure, Mike. Uh, th- thanks for having me first. And uh, really happy to be here. It was great talking to you a couple of weeks ago. I'm happy to have this conversation. So for me, I'm uh, actually a principal scientist at GE's Research Center. So I'm based in upstate New York. So the GE Research Center, we basically act as the, the research arm. You can almost think of us as the academics for, for the entire uh, GE company. So we work with all the different GE businesses trying to solve some of the further out technical challenges that they're facing. I'm um, actually, my background is actually in computer science. I got my PhD just a couple of years ago. I was working on it part-time while I was working, uh, working here at GE and um, really focused on scalable machine learning and big data kinds of algorithms. And really I got into added uh, manufacturing data management just in the last, you know, four or five years or so. Um, really more or less since I joined GE, I had a lot of focus around data management, data integration challenges. I started out working with um, GE Capital primarily uh, tackling a lot of the challenges that their marketing and risk organizations had, uh, pulling together different types of data from, from many different sources to understand what our risk exposure was to different companies uh, that we were currently customers with and um, I'm, had relationships with, 
and then also what potential you know prospects were, were out there and what information we could find on them. And so worked worked in that space for about you know eight or ten years, and then started working with some of the other different uh, G businesses. And then about five years ago, was approached with the challenge around additive data management, and I was really excited by that because GE is you know a big player in additive manufacturing. You know we're, we're a, you know a, an OEM. We actually you know make uh, additive machines. You know, added print, uh, printers. We were also a powder uh, vendor and manufacturer. We we're also a consultant, and, and of course, you know, we're a big you know um, user of additive manufacturing ourselves. Awesome. And so, kind of digging into your history a little bit. So you're you kind of did a lot of projects in, in kind of the finance, kind of data management side of things. Like, what's your philosophy when it comes to kind of data and understanding the story, like uh, as you're going through, like I'm a material scientist and Mm -hmm. I come across data and have like, and can understand it and analyze it in different contexts. But it's usually in the context of like something around uh, something physical or some sort of fundamental kind of piece of, uh, uh, of materials information or something like that. So kind of when you're approaching it from a kind of, computer science or AI or machine learning approach, like what are some of the differences there in terms of how you think about organizing information and data, regardless of topic, maybe like you have done a lot of work in finance, but then also um, additives. So are there any kind of like best practices that you have when, when you're thinking about or like kind of what's your basic model? Yeah. My approach is really to try and think about how to democratize, uh, you know, access to data. In the computer science field, particularly within, you know, AI and machine learning, we talk about kind of like the 80-20 rule where we're typically, you know, 80% of a, of a researcher's time or, or a machine learning uh, person's time is really spent, you know, structuring, cleaning, organizing the data. And then the actual analysis of that data tends to only be about 20%. And we really want to try to model where we can spend as little time as possible structuring the data and worrying about the data and give the, the, the developer or the scientist as much time as possible to really focus on, you know, actually analyzing data and, and learning and driving value from the data. So, so what I try to do is build solutions that allow um, folks to, to focus less about where the data is located, you know, what query languages to use, and try and give them interfaces and, and programming interfaces, uh, application program, programming interfaces or APIs, to be able to, to, to interact with the data and, and retrieve data and analyze the data as efficiently as possible. So really trying to take away a lot of the headache and pain from the machine learning AI folks and really put that on myself and my team so that we can actually solve a lot of the underlying challenges that enable them to be successful. So I don't consider myself to be a data scientist, but I basically say that I, I make data science, data scientists successful. And was there something specific that got you interested into kind of the, the data computer science field to begin with? I know for me, I was a materials engineer and I liked kind of seeing all the different baseball bats that came out every year out of different materials. Was there some, some sort of spark or some sort of interest that kind of took you down that path? I'd say that the very beginning was probably as an undergrad at the University of Maryland. One of my favorite courses there was a database course, just trying to understand how to efficiently store data, you know, query data, you know, maximize uh, performance of, of different systems. I, I really had a much better appreciation for how complex those kinds of questions and those kinds of challenges are. And then when I came here to GE, it was less around trying to build, you know, optimal database systems, but actually how do you use different systems to maximize your ability to, to analyze and derive value from data. And especially, you know, when I was working with capital around, um, excuse me, 
de dealing with different structures and different types of data and how do you bring all of that together to, to enable more sophisticated analyses than just looking at one, you know, one narrow type of data. And of course, we have that kind of challenge in spades in the additive manufacturing space, where of course, you know, you've got a lot of relational data, but you also have a lot of time series, a lot of, you know, images and, and you know, files and different kinds of file formats. And so just, just the, the, the challenge is 10x or 100x what I was dealing with in the past with, with, with capital. And so that just makes it all the more exciting for me, quite frankly. Sure. And I imagine on both fronts, kind of the, the capital side and the additive side is like you, you kind of have to become a, uh, almost an expert into like, what's the context of all of this data, mm -hmm. right? Like you can organize it. Like that's, that's a huge first step. Right. But then like, okay, like there's some problems that people don't even know they're like this data could help with. Right. So it's a lot of it, it is kind of becoming your, your own kind of subject matter expert in, in the space as well. Yeah, no, I think that that's definitely been one of the, the, the side benefits that I've actually really loved about working here at the research center because you get to tackle so many different uh, kinds of challenges and problems. You get exposed to so many different domains. And exactly as you said, you really have to learn quite a bit about them. I'm certainly, you know, not a material scientist or an additive engineer, but I, I like to think that I've learned a fair amount over the last, over the last five years that, that has at least educated me and made, made me a bit more well-rounded. And typically, you know, our approach to, to addressing the data integration challenge is to build knowledge graphs or semantic data models that basically model the structure of all the data and how it all links together. And so in order to build those models, you really have to have a deep, deep understanding of the domain. And I don't try to build those models, you know, in silos, you know, I collaborate very closely with a lot of the excellent material scientists here and the, 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 the fantastic, you know, additive engineers here. So through those collaborations and building these models that represent all the data, I actually end up learning quite a bit. And so, so it's been really, really fantastic. And what was kind of the, I can guess in terms of like, what's the impetus of like wanting to do this in the first place, but like, can you maybe just for those who may not be super familiar with kind of additive and even additive at the scale that GE is doing it, um, like what's the, the incentive to, or even the problem going into the, the added manufacturing space with data and data management? I mean, really th there are many reasons why we're doing additive. I think, um, the, the most important is probably trying to build more efficient machines that can last longer and, um, you know, operate at more extreme conditions. Um, so, you know, basically, you know, components that, that can, you know, last a lot longer at much higher temperatures, for example, within aircraft engines or in, within gas turbines. And the reason why collecting and managing all the data is so important is because, um, I don't want to call it brittle, but it's still somewhat of a brittle process additive manufacturing. So in order to really understand you know, what the influence is of, of even very minute changes in different uh, parameters or characteristics, you know, a small change in a powder lot or a small change in a process parameter, understanding what the implications and effects of those, you know, variations are is really important. And you really can't do that if, you, if you're not able to string and tie all the data together and have this, you know, digital thread, as we call it, uh, linking all the data throughout the end-to-end -end additive life cycle. So, so if, you know, you're, if you're producing parts and they're coming out great one day and then, and then they start to have problems the next, you really need to be able to do a root cause analysis and look step-by-step step through the entire history all the way back to the raw material to look for any sort of variations or, or changes in the process um, to, to, to be able to uh, debug and, and resolve any sort of issues. And then yeah. that's just one scenario in which the, the data is so important. And I'm sure that parallels as well as if you're doing something for an aircraft engine, like there's regulation involved, right? And so you, in, in some ways, like you need all of that legally to, to have a, some sort of record of documentation and who's 
who's touched it at what time. Yeah, it's, and especially in the, in the aviation space, as you said, I mean, the, 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 so we're, we're often required to keep data for 40 plus years in, in the aviation space. So, so yeah, there's a lot of regulations requirements, particularly around uh, aviation, as you said. And, I mean, GE is probably this very unique environment where you've got kind of all sorts of levels of data being generated, but also use cases, right? You've got kind of the research side and developing materials and applications. There's the production side where you're producing components and they're flying. And then you're also making machines for an end user or a customer that you have to kind of think about what their their use cases might be. So, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing just in, in all of that, you have no shortage of, of things to do and, and data potential challenges to that you can learn from in one area and then apply to, to others. Yeah, no, that, that, that you said it absolutely correct. I mean, we have that, um, I wouldn't call them challenges so much as opportunities, mm-hmm. opportunities in spades. You know, there's just so many great opportunities to learn from different, you know, different challenge, different, um, different areas, different customers, different domains. So, so being able to take the learning and transferring it from one, from one problem or one uh, area to, to another is really what the, the research center in, in, in many respects is, is here for, to act as kind of a bridge between the different GE businesses. So we can say, you know, take some learning around the hot gas path of an aircraft engine and take that learning to, to the hot gas path of a gas turbine, um, you know, from the GE aviation business to the GE uh, gas power business. And so, yeah, there's, there's quite a few challenges, um, especially because of the breadth of what GE does in additive. As you said, you know, here at the research center, we're not only trying to develop new materials, but we're also even contributing to the development of the new additive machines themselves. Um, so a lot of interesting challenges that, that we're looking at. And I think data really um, underlies and enables a lot of those, uh, a lot of the solutions that are being developed. And so for someone kind of, kind of I'll put myself in kind of the, the user, like day-to-day user category for the time being, and in terms of kind of organizing information and 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 production data across kind of the workflow like where do you guys kind of think of the the digital thread starting when when you go through and and start mapping this data is it when the part is in the machine is it at some sort of design stage is it kind of materials related like what how do you think about it or maybe what's a broader question is like what's what's kind of the framework that you think of when when you you start to to kind of get all, pull all this data in during any given process? I mean, I, for, from my perspective, I, I think of it all the way from the very beginning of even how the raw material is, is generated. You know, what are the steps or processes that are used to generate the raw powder? Then what are the properties of that powder or, or that raw material? And how that material is then made available to, to the GE business, you know, how it's transported, where it's stored, and then how it goes into a machine. And then, of course, there's there's kind of the, the corollary to that is you know how the part is designed and in, in, in the specs of, of the part, um, and you know what are the the you know simulation compensation compensation that's done for the part, you know to, to to manage for any sort of you know distortion through the printing process or through you know the hitting heat treating of the parts. So I really view kind of all of those different threads kind of coming together into the actual machine, and then you know monitoring the build, you know both from from looking at the images and the time series sensors coming out of the machines. All the way to all you know, understanding and, and tracking all the post-processing and inspection that's that's done on the parts. So for me, that that's kind of the full life cycle, all the way from how the, the raw material is created to the, the end result of the part um, that's inspected and, and certified and, and able to go into an engine or a gas turbine or something. And how do you think about kind of when you're designing some of these 
the data model or the systems that are collecting and analyzing and, and, and building some of these graphs or relationship information outputs. Um, who do you think of as, as the audience or kind of the, like the user of, of this information? Is it kind of researchers? Is it the, 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 the applications engineers is kind of the, the operators. Cause that's something, I mean, we talked a little bit a few weeks mm-hmm. ago about right. some of the work we're doing on, on trace and, and a really hard challenge for, for me that I deal with every day is like, who's, how do you capture the right level of data that's useful, but not overwhelming to, to, to gather. And I, I struggle with that a lot. Yeah, that, no, that's a, that's a tough, uh, tough question or tough challenge. And, you know, from, from our perspective, I would say yes, or, you know, all of the above, just, just because of the breadth of what GE does in the additive space. Um, but, but our approach really is to try and capture as much data and as much granularity as possible, and then really provide different views or different um, perspectives by which different users can actually consume or look at the data. So we want to have all the data captured and linked together as uh, granular as possible to be able to meet the the, the most um, the most niche or, or you know low level kind of requirement. But not every user needs to actually see the view the data that way or the, to that level of granularity. And you don't have to provide it at that at that um, you know level. So so for the material scientists, they they may view the, the the world or may view the data from one aspect of, for example, the common data model that, that we've developed. The, the additive engineer or the, the operator may view it from a very different view, but from at the end of the day, it's all the same kind of data infrastructure, but they have kind of like different um, different aspects that they're exposed to. It's, it's kind of like the old analogy of the blind man touching the elephant, you know, one touches the leg, one the tail and, and stuff. But the, but the reality is, you know, our, our data model is the entire elephant, but they may have different pieces that they're exposed to for different needs. And I imagine there's also different analysis tools that are, available to, to some folks than others, right? Like I'm not an FEA engineer, but I have assumed mm-hmm. some of the data that you generate here could go into an FEA model or, um, or, or some other machine learning, artificial mm-hmm. intelligence kind of algorithm as well. So uh, how, do you, how do you think about that? Do you kind of build those tools as well? Like to like, hey, we've got this great repository of information. Here's like here's some breadcrumbs of how you might use it. Like, do you, do you kind of sit and think about that as well in terms of how you might? Oh yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in fact, that, that's one of the things that I, I enjoy the most because of my background, um, particularly around my you know, PhD work around big data technologies is how do you, you know, capture and um, uh, actually en- enable the analysis of, of large scale data. And because, you know, we're in the additive space, We've got a lot of combinations of both, you know, large and small data. So how you fit that together and be able to analyze that in an efficient way. Our, our, um, our thinking or our attitude here at the Research Center is we don't want to, you know, reinvent the wheel, as they say. So if there's already capabilities or technologies out there that we can repurpose or reuse, we definitely do that. But if there's, you know, um, a new algorithm that hasn't been implemented to, to scale to the data that, that we have, or we need some sort of new approach to visualize the data, we'll try and, you know, um, develop novel solutions in-house. But we always looked first to see, you know, what's kind of available, um, you know, in the marketplace or, or from open source technologies, things like that. And we also actually contribute back to, to for example, the open source communities. My team's actually generated two uh, projects in the semantic uh, data modeling space to make it easier for folks to use uh, semantics for, for, for data management and, and, and model generation. 
And so I'm not uh, a super expert on, on, on all of this, but so what does semantic mm-hmm. mean for uh, like for a, a layman or, or someone that's kind of cursory familiar with, with kind of data and data modeling? Sure. So, so when, when I talk about semantic models, uh, the, the, I guess the formal name is typically ontologies, but a semantic model is really a representation of the domain um, of, of interest. So, so obviously in this domain, we're talking about, you know, materials, uh, science, or additive uh, manufacturing. And, and the, the semantic model uh, defines what are all the core classes um, and properties of those classes within the domain and, and structured in a way that's kind of intuitive to the, to the domain experts um, in, in that, that field or in that area. And so you're trying to basically represent all of the, the information and, ha- and all of the information in a domain in a way that that's familiar to the domain experts. So example, you know, um, for, for our semantic model, we have, you know, a class around a part and what are all the attributes of a part? We have a class around a build and what are all the attributes around a build? You know, it's got a start time, it's got a powder, uh, you know, a lot that's inputted. It's got, you know, um, configuration parameters. And then of course the, 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 the part, produ- the, the build produces some number of parts. And so they have to be linked. And so I'm so trying to model the structure in a, in a very formal uh, syntactically um, correct way that you can actually com- have computers reason over that model and being able to, to, to analyze the data that, that may be represented uh, along with that model. So it's really kind of a structured formal representation of uh, a domain of interest. And what about on the data capture side? A lot of this is in theory, you could pull in automatically from different machines and, and different parts of the ecosystem. But at some point there are, at least we found there are aspects of uh, manual data entry that you might have to, to incorporate into any data flow or kind of collection stage. And how do you think about that? I mean, that was something that um, like in, in some cases, like kind of what you're, the work you're doing with the, the common data model and saying like, you, we always structure our build numbers like this, or like we always spell out our, if we're using aluminum, it's always aluminum. It's not AL, SI, 10 magnesium or whatever it may be. Um, so do you think about that or kind of the, I guess the, the user friendliness of data capture or like the user experience on, on that mm-hmm. front so that you can get good data into whatever model it is you're building? Yeah, that, that is something we think about. And, and quite frankly, it, it is a tough nut to crack. We do try to automate you know, data capture as, as much as possible, but, but the reality is, um, I don't think we'll ever get away from having some, you know, human touch and, and at least, you know, some, you know, sub steps within the additive um, manufacturing process. But we do try to define, you know, standard templates and standard structures for how we expect data to be represented. And then when, when the data does have to be manually generated, a big part of it is really kind of the training process of helping the folks who are generating the data and, and capturing the data, making them understand the value of the data and how it's not just going to be used by them, but could be used by people downstream of them or upstream of them to, to great effect. So, so having everyone who's involved in the process have a, a deeper appreciation for the value of the work that they're doing, I think really encourages people to, to, to be willing to kind of fit within the structures or the guidelines that have been defined for, for how to represent the data and how to capture the data so that we can actually make it reusable and shareable. Have you ever had like an aha moment for when you're kind of talking to either some of the partners you're working with or folks on, on the shop floor where you're like, you're talking about kind of this data capture and you say like, Hey, like we were able to capture all this information. And now like we've had it a couple of times where 
like we were able to catch something early and that saved a few thousand dollars on titanium powder for the next build. <laughs> um, yeah. But do you have ever like have that you can talk about? I'm sure there's proprietary stuff that like you guys are like doing every day that kind of are super insightful, but is there anything that like, Hey, like this is a really like this showed the value of having this data and the data model and the system to analyze it. Um, in front yeah, of and unfortunately, I can't. I can't really get into any specific examples in, in sure. any level of detail. <laughs> there certainly have been a few, and I think I think folks have uh, have begun to appreciate what more data driven decision making can really do for them, mm-hmm. and how it can improve um, both the additive manufacturing process as well. You know, with respect to both quality and and, and speed of, of of the process. But but I really couldn't get into any specifics sure. along those lines. Sure. Yeah. I totally understand. And so in, we've talked a lot about the, I guess the, the data of generating a part or generating a design to get to a part from a material, but do you also kind of bring in other facets from, of data from your other parts of your business? Like, you know, how many operators there are, so you know how much it costs to, to, to run the machine, you know, how much, energy usage and things. So are you pulling information also from kind of these, I would say non-core kind of production pieces of, of like just part production, but like other elements in terms of costing or power usage and things like that? Yeah, well, we definitely do um, try and pull in different sources and types of data along those lines to really understand the value story of, you know, what, what what's the benefit of taking these 20 parts and, and that, that are, you know, um, subtractively manufactured and assembled and eliminating those and replacing it with one part that's that's additively manufactured. So trying to understand the value and the implications of that, both in both in, you know, just just redu- reducing cost, reducing waste, as well as hopefully also reduce, uh, you know, lightening the, the weight of the part, and therefore hopefully you know increasing the efficiency of the the engine or whatever whatever piece of equipment is going into. Um, but we don't really, um, if, I, if I can be frank, really do a good job of kind of tying in like operational data back into the, the, the additive manufacturing process. So you go through this process of building a part and then once that part's kind of out in the real world and you know it's grown up and it's you know doing its job, we don't really collect a lot of data. Well, we do collect a ton of data on the part performance and, and quality, but we don't necessarily tie that back to the additive manufacturing process. So, so that loop isn't really, um, isn't really close today very, very effectively in my opinion. Got it. And so all of this, like, is, I mean, you are kind of G, the collective you as, as GE, like have a huge amount of resources and a lot of different ways to, of interrogating this, this issue of data management and, and, and you have machines, you have end users, you're an end user, you develop new mm-hmm. materials. So you're looking at it from a lot of different angles. But I mean, you guys and the way we met was through kind of this um, common data model working group that is probably this industry wide and, and trying to come up with um, some some guidance, some standards, some best practices around this whole concept. So that I mean, to enable kind of small medium manufacturers or, or other manufacturers in the ecosystem because it's such a big problem. And and so, can you t- talk a little bit about kind of what is that working group? Like what's the, the main, main goal? What's the intent? And, and maybe just start there and we can kind of get into that. Sure. So, so the group is actually uh, led or spearheaded by, by some folks at NIST, some, some wonderful folks there. And it's really an additive data management working group that that's been working together for the last, gosh, I think like three plus years now. Um, 
try to make it easier for us to, 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 to have common terminology and the ability to, to more effectively share additive manufacturing data. And from, from my perspective, you know, I got involved, Rajit got involved because we really uh, understand that, that the field of additive manufacturing is still very nascent and it's really only gonna grow and, and become very mature and, and, and more widely adopted. Um, through partnerships and, and effective sharing of, of knowledge and insights around, you know, the materials and, and machine structure and configuration and so on and so forth. So we really felt that it was important for us to be a partner with the larger community um, to figure out, you know, what are effective ways to be able to represent data, share data, and communicate, um, you know, how we're using how we're using materials, how we're using, you know, different added manufacturing processes and things like that. And so what the, um, so I joined the, the group, um, I think about two and a half years ago, and they'd already been working for a year plus, I think on a common data model. And so the, the objective of that was really to try and standardize the terminology that's used by different groups on the additive manufacturing. So defining what exactly is a build, is a build just, you know, what the, the operation that's happening on the, the, the 3D printer or the added you know, printer, or is it the entire process from, from any sort of you know, pre-build, build, and then any sort of post-processing, you know, even you know, very simple, the term build that we, all, that we all use or throw around, what does that actually mean? And can we have a common definition? So the common data dictionary was really around trying to standardize the language that we're all using. But the, the, the challenge that, that I think we're still faced with and the argument that I was making is that Having a data dictionary is great for us as humans to be able to communicate so that we can make sure that, that when, when you say part and I say part, we mean the same thing. But if we actually want our machines to be able to communicate and start sharing data without us having to constantly you know, be involved and in, in, in touching and interfacing with them, we really need a common representation for the data and how all these different um, variables or all these different terms kind of link together. And so, so my argument was that if we use, if we come up with a semantic representation of, of the data, a semantic-based data representation, then we'd have a formal syntax that takes the term from the common data dictionary and puts them in a structure that we as humans can understand and agree with, but also machines, computers can, can reason over and understand and, and communicate uh, using. So to be able to actually have um, the interchange of data, it's not enough for us to say, oh, this part, you know, th th this variable, you know, has this label from the common data dictionary, but we want to be able to structure that data in a common way so that, so that you and I can just have, um, you know, our computers start exchanging data back and forth and, and we can bring in third party or fourth parties and have this shared model that we're all using to, to represent the data versus us having, you know, all, you know, one-off custom adapters for us to be able to share data with each other, but, but with no one else. And so this, I'm sorry, so I was going to say, shout out to the, to the working group members. It's, it's quite a, quite a uh, fantastic group of people. It's led by, you know, folks at national labs, academics, you know, um, myself and other, uh, uh, other commercial partners. And it's really a wide gamut of, of, of folks, probably on the order of, you know, 20 to 30 folks who've been working for, for a number of years tackling this really important problem. And I, I think the team is making great progress. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. It was in terms of kind of coming together and, and kind of developing that consensus around different stakeholders. Because even, I mean, practically today, right? Like, mm -hmm. no offense to being GE as an, an OEM, but like from my standpoint, kind of developing software that is in the ecosystem of added manufacturing, it's it's a nightmare trying to not with you guys specifically or anyone, but like looking at how each machine manufacturer 
collects data, labels data, allows access to that data, has sensors, doesn't have sensors. And I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to keep up with, with all of that. And, and like, you're, you're trying to build inter, intermediaries and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And, and right now it's, it is a bit of the wild west in terms of like what you can, or even a, have the ability to, to collect as an end user, like some companies, like you have to yeah. pay extra just to get access to your own machine that you paid a million dollars for yeah. <laughs> have, uh, all the sensor inputs. And, and some people may not even know, even if they had that data, they may not know what to use it for. And that's what we found a lot, especially with like, companies that buy, I mean, they make significant investments as one or two machines, it's a couple mm-hmm. few million dollars. But I mean, they're just trying to nail out parts and get them out. They've got a paper traveler and, and, and that's good enough for them, but there may be things they're missing. There may not be, but right. uh, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing at, at the moment because there's so much, there's so many different options in terms of printers and printer capabilities, different types of processes and multiple processes that keeping up for even some, someone like me that's in it every day is <laughs> it's exhausting. It really is. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, it is a problem for us too. And even, even though we're one of the, the bigger players, you know, we're still negatively affected by the fact that we can't share data by it's, you know, that, that there's no consistency in how data is represented and shared. You know, we have a lot of vendors that we work with and, and we're a vendor to others and not having consistency between us, you know, causes problems. So, so we're, we're not thrilled about the wild west situation. We want to be part of the solution. So, so yeah. that's why we're engaged. And do you think ultimately it will be kind of a, a standard that comes through this working group that is kind of helps kind of level the playing field or is that kind of like the, the, the end goal with, or kind of the, the next step with, with this? Yeah. So, so the, the common data dictionary that, that the, that the group um, put together, I believe is already uh, approved as an ASTM uh, 4208 standard. Um, I'm pretty, pretty certain, certain of that. And the hope is that the common data model, at least the core version of that, will become a standard as well. So that hopefully, um, you know, all additive manufacturing, you know, th- those related to the additive man- manufacturing uh, chain, supply chain, will can, if they so choose, adopt um, that that common data model as as what I call kind of a lingua franca for us to be able to communicate and share and share data. And the, the idea, by the way, is, is not to try and force everyone to use the same kind of tools or infrastructure for actually storing and managing the data internally. Um, but if you want to actually share data externally with, with other collaborators or partners, then we need some sort of common mechanism in, in, in order uh, to do that. And I believe that that having a common, uh, a semantic common data model that we all agree upon is, is really the right, right approach to, to, to solving that problem. For sure. And, and in terms of kind of that ability to, to share data, like can you talk a little bit more about that? When I, when I, when you said that, I kind of think about like, uh, maybe this is the wrong way of, uh, of thinking about it is like, I'm a, I'm a manufacturer. I make metal parts. I send it out for post-processing or hipping or some sort of inspection. I get mm-hmm. a test report or some sort of data back, but it's in a PDF or something like that. Mm-hmm. And is that kind of what you're talking about? Or is it when you talk about sharing data, is it something, something different? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm usually thinking a little bit uh, grander scale in, in those scenarios, you know, certainly as, as a production manufacturer, we, we get like, you know, spec sheets for the materials that we bring in and, you know, spec sheets for any sort of, you know, hip or heat treat, treatment that might have been done by, by another vendor. But what I'm thinking is more, you know, as, as we're collaborating with different, you know, academics and different research organizations, um, uh, how do we share data on the materials and, and the process parameters that, that we're developing for those materials? 
how do we share data on the new, you know, um, in situ process monitoring capabilities that we're trying to build? How do we share, you know, data on the new machines that we're trying to build, you know, either larger scale or using different technologies or different approaches? So, so, so I'm, I'm most interested in, in the data sharing um, aspect to, to really be able to advance the science of additive manufacturing and material science, but, but there are some more, you know, kind of the day-to-day -day operational things that you were referring to that, that I think are very important as well. And as you think about, I mean, part of this podcast is all about kind of careers and in the 3D printing space and hearing kind of different career stories and kind of the the both technical and non-technical side. But as you think about kind of some of the skill sets required to interact with some of this data or kind of be able to access and, and provide value in different ways, do you, do you think kind of those learning in the world of added manufacturing, either with their hands or kind of material side or design side kind of needs what, I guess, what skill sets do, do they need as well to understand and utilize and some of this, this data that is being generated and, and through some of the, the models and, and collections that you guys at GE have developed and like kind of theoretical question, but like what, if, if someone's coming up and, and looking to get into the space, like how do they make themselves an asset with being able to access some of this data? What sorts of skill sets do they need? So if, um, if myself and my team are successful and those kind of working in the same space are successful, then hopefully the, the, the material scientists, the additive engineers, those, those up and comers who want to focus on the, 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 the physical science aspects of it won't have to learn a lot of, you know, uh, database technologies, database query languages, things like that. Hopefully they'll just have to learn a few, you know, APIs, maybe, maybe you know, have some programming uh, skills. But, uh, but the hope is that the, 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 the more like pedantic data management aspects of it will more or less be a solved problem and there'll just be tools and capabilities and infrastructure that they can use and not have to really worry about kind of what's going on under the hood and they can focus on trying to solve the problems that they actually care about, whether it's a material science problem or whatever. That being said, I think any sort of, you know, computer science uh, programming type skills, I think are invaluable. I don't think there's an area today that isn't going to be touched or improved by having some sort of exposure to, to computer science and programming. So languages like, like Python in particular, I think are probably the most effective. But what myself and my team are doing are trying to, for example, build Python-based APIs so that a user can call our system, you know, download a data set and then be able to parse and, and analyze that data set. I, I guess I'll caveat what I said a, a little bit and say that I think big data technologies are gonna be an important component of it as well. Um, you know, trying to think about how to efficiently distribute or parallelize any sort of analysis of the data because, you know, we are, I think just inevitably going to be talking about larger and larger, you know, data sets. I think terabytes aren't even considered necessarily big data anymore. You know, we're onto petabytes and stuff. And so I think, I think having some knowledge around general programming skills and distributed, maybe distributed programming and, and big data technologies would probably be valuable as well. I don't see either of those going away. Sure. Yeah. The data pile is not getting smaller. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's in, interesting in the sense that as I was kind of listening to your answer, I mean, one of the um, things that, that kind of kept bouncing around in the back of my head was just this idea of the kind of how much, like how the, the technology has developed over, like 3D printing as a whole has developed over the last 30, 
almost 40 years now, right? It's very much, it started very much as a mechanical based system, right? We're solving a prototyping problem. Then there's some materials in, I really think kind of the next kind of iteration for a lot of these companies that are making printers or even materials to some sense is the data side. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, I mean, I think you, you guys are putting a lot of resources into, into the space, but kind of as a whole, like I don't see many of the other OEMs putting a, a significant mm-hmm. amount of resource into this, just, it's not in their kind of core business to, to mm-hmm. start out with right like it's hard enough to make a, a mechanical system with lasers yeah. or something else then you got to add in the materials and safety and and all of that piece and then you have the software on top of it and um it's there's a lot of certainly opportunity but i think that opportunity builds these challenges like you're seeing in the common data model where it's all over the place or like the yeah. the resource resources within uh, an OEM that's making machines is for software and these big data challenges is be lucky if it's 10%. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my guess for most of these, these companies, just in terms of how many people they have working on the mechanical and material systems versus the software. Yeah. I, I certainly couldn't speak for the other OEMs, but if I had to guess, at least for some of them, 10, 10% might even be generous, Yeah, but, but we certainly recognize that it's, that it's a big challenge and, and tackling the data, the data challenge, the data capture, the data linking, and, and the data analysis challenge is really going to be critical for the future of additive. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's a, a big opportunity for, for people who are coming into the space, either new kind of potential employees or entrepreneurs in, in, in the space to, to really kind of capitalize on some of those insights that you might gain from, from understanding this data or making exactly. it a bit more accessible to kind of the the day-to-day user to make their life a little bit easier. I think there's yeah, there's exactly. a lot of insights to to be gained yet. We we certainly haven't optimized <laughs> the end-to-end chain yet. Um, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Then I completely agree. So so Kareem, well I want to thank you so much for for joining the show today. Um it was a great conversation. I guess um I think the the last question I have is for those who kind of listen to to, to the conversation and, and maybe want to get involved in, in the work you're doing with the, the common data model and, and other efforts along this lines, um, other opportunities to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, let me just start by saying, Mike, thank you so much for having me. We really enjoyed the dialogue. Uh, but yes, if, if folks would, would like to be part of the additive uh, manufacturing data management working group, they're more than welcome to reach out to myself, whether they want to contribute to the common data dictionary, the common data model, or any other aspect uh, that, that we're focusing on please feel free to reach out to me and I'd be more than happy to, to either connect you to the right folks or, or to have you join the meetings that I'm leading directly. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you around the industry. Wonderful. Thank you. Take care.